Hello, I'm Eric Holdeman, and this is Disaster Zone, a podcast about emergencies and disasters of all types. Disaster Zone will bring you interviews with people dealing with all aspects of disasters, from what causes them to how people and organizations are dealing with their impact. Here's today's program. Today's podcast is being sponsored by The Blue Cell. With over 100 courses available within the areas of crisis, consequence, and incident management, the Blue Cell has online, virtual, live, or in-person options. Go to www.thebluecell.com forward slash training to sign up today. Welcome to Disaster Zone Podcast. With me today is Pete Gaynor, the administrator for the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA. This interview will look at his personal career progression, advice he has for existing and aspiring emergency managers. And yes, we'll do a deep dive into COVID-19, hurricanes, and wildfire responses in 2020. Welcome to the show, Pete. Eric, it's good to be here. Uh, Thanks to you for inviting me to the Disaster Zone podcast. That's it, you got it. Well, listen, Pete, briefly, don't want to know where you're born or anything, but what was your career path to becoming the current FEMA administrator? Good question. Uh, some days I scratch my head about how I got uh, because it's been, especially this latter part of my uh, federal career has been uh, pretty surreal. Uh, so I, I started my, my early career as a uh, U.S. Marine and retired after 26 years, went home. Um, and not really thinking about being a emergency manager, but somehow I fell into a, a position uh, in the city of Providence, Rhode Island, as the, the uh, city's emergency manager. Spent seven years there, worked for two mayors, um, and then uh, was asked uh, by uh, the new governor at the time, Governor-elect uh, Raimondo, uh, 2014 or so, uh, to be the state's director. And so I did that for almost four years. And then uh, eventually find my way here early on to go work for Mr. Long, who is the administrator. Uh, so I came on October, almost two years now, uh, uh, October of 18 as the deputy administrator. Uh, and, then, um, and then a series of uh, events happened. Mr. Long decided to leave. I was uh, acting and then got confirmed once again to be the administrator uh, earlier this year. So that's kind of how I got here. None of it was really planned, uh, but here I am today. Okay, I remember over breakfast a number of years ago, uh, you said somebody suggested to you, hey, why don't you apply for that Providence, Rhode Island uh, position? So, and, and thus the, the journey began, right? Yes, it did. So having made that journey from city to state and then deputy FEMA administrator, now FEMA administrator, looking back on that journey, what advice would you give to state and local emergency managers about their role and our profession, you know, just what have you learned? Some of the big things briefly, again. Yeah, so this is a, uh, this can be a really complicated uh, And so no matter if you're at a local level, local territorial tribe, uh, state, uh, it's complicated. This year, uh, and I'm gonna state the obvious, has been uh, one of the uh, more complicated um, years that I think I've ever experienced. So with COVID and hurricanes and wildfires, uh, civil unrest, um, uh, lost wages program that we did for the uh, for the administration. Uh, it's, it's been it's been complicated, and so what I what I would say is, you know, 
you need to be prepared for everything. And I know that's a broad statement, but you really need to think hard uh, about the things that really matter. Uh, and and I'll, I'll probably touch on in a couple ways here, but really shared responsibility. And when you think about COVID and, and what we've been doing, uh, it's really about uh, a lack of resources. Uh, the federal government uh, cannot, could not uh, supply everything that the country needed. Uh, the, the, you know, the president for the first time in history uh, you know, signed a uh, uh, major disaster on 13 March uh, and, and it really kind of broke all the records and all the paradigms. And if you were, if your plan was to rely on the federal government uh, to come and rescue you, this is, this is not the year to uh, unroll that plan. So I think uh, you have to be prepared at the local level. Uh, you have to have capacity. Uh, you have to really think hard about it. You have to, you have to encourage your uh, local leadership uh, to actually spend some money, uh, spend some, uh, some time and effort uh, to develop a local program. Uh, because today, and now just pick COVID-19, uh, it, you are being, you have been tested this year in many different ways, in many ways that you've never thought you'd be tested. So, uh, and, and, and that includes the federal government. So federal, state, uh, down the locals and tribes and territory, uh, all stressed, but you really need to think hard and long about uh, what the next big hard thing is and uh, how you're going to do it if there is no help uh, from the state or from, uh, from the federal government. You really need to think hard about that. Okay, it's certainly um, the word we keep hearing again and again and I've written about it and did a uh, spoken podcast about it, it the word unprecedented. It's, if you listen for it, it's in the news every day. Something yeah. new, not just emergency management disasters. I use it often. Yeah. So uh, we're going to talk more detail about mitigation and disaster resilience later in this interview, but most people know FEMA from the disaster response perspective. So let's run through some of the big ones uh, from 2020. Uh, first of all, and you brought this up, FEMA was called upon lead federal response to coronavirus pandemic. This included coordination role of delivering essential medical equipment supplies like ventilators, personal protective equipment, PPE. It was a critical time. What were the challenges you faced as an agency and what role are you playing today as cases uh, surge again here in the late fall, winter months coming. Yeah, so, um, you know, th this is, you know, COVID-19 has uh, really allowed us to go lots of places that we never really contemplated before. And, and if we contemplated it before, it probably wasn't in the scale that we are doing them now. Um, you know, one of the first things, uh, after the president signed the uh, national emergency back in March 13th was, you know, FEMA all of a sudden now is in charge of the operational coordination uh, for the entire COVID-19 response. Uh, and when you think about it, uh, you know, that, that's what we do. We, we coordinate interagency, um, but we typically do it for natural disasters, not for uh, public health emergencies. Uh, that, that typically is, is the uh, role and responsibility of HHS uh, and, and uh, their subcomponents uh, but I think the response to COVID-19 needed a really uh, a fresh way about uh, how to manage this thing. And, and it was FEMA. Uh, there really is no one other in government, no one in government, no other agency in government that does what we do. And so, um, you know, were we prepared to manage a public health emergency? I, I don't think we were, you know, we, it wasn't in our plans because it's another statutory responsibility for someone else, HHS. 
but we were prepared for, for, for coordination. Uh, again, we had to upscale all the things that we were doing because, uh, again, this is a whole of nation, uh, uh, whole of government response. Uh, you know, again, it's just not happening uh, to the United States. It's happening around the world. So it made, it made life uh, much more complicated. Uh, so a, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, needed to take a minute or two to digest what our new role was. Uh, and then, uh, and then move out smartly to go accomplish the missions uh, that the administration and the White House Coronavirus Task Force uh, asked us to do, uh, in partnership with uh, many of our partners. Because again, this is just not a FEMA response; it's really a response from from nearly every uh, federal agency and partners, uh, private business, uh, you know, and businesses like um, uh, uh, UPS and Radiant and Federal Express, uh, Holland. PPE from around the globe here. So again, really a, a great partnership. Yeah, and you had called on state local emergency managers in a couple direct letters. I don't think that's ever been done before from the FEMA administrator to every emergency manager in the state was your goal, uh, asking them to step up and do their part. Yeah, uh, again, uh, if you think about what FEMA does historically uh, in, a, in a, let's pick a hurricane, for example, uh, you know, usually it's a confined uh, geographic space, uh, damage li limited in scope, uh, and and, uh, and we pour the entire uh, goodness of the federal government, uh, all those resources that we have into that into that space to to just those disaster survivors. Um, and this was COVID response was not that. Uh, this was not managing resources. This was managing the lack of resources. And so you know we kind of had to change our mindset a little bit, uh, and uh, and made sure that you know everyone was doing what they could at the local state federal level because it it, it, it takes everyone uh to do to do it uh and so you know my letters out to the to the emergency uh, managers were, was exactly that hey i need your help this is unprecedented uh you know uh, the, the federal government doesn't have enough ppe for example uh to, to satisfy every single uh request for ppe around the around the country you're gonna have to do some on your own Right, and we we've really never said that before. Uh, but I, I think uh, we're in a much better place now. You know, when obviously we're not out of COVID-19, uh, we still have a, a way to go, but we're in a much better place. And I attribute a lot of that uh, to uh, the nation of emergency managers, uh, public safety officials, uh, you know, state health directors, county health directors coming together uh, to kind of overcome some of those difficulties. Okay, and uh, are you still in the PPE business? Uh, uh, we are less and less though, because we, we've had uh, we've had some uh, uh, some great um, uh, movement forward on PPE. Uh, more is made in the United States than was uh, back in March. We still, again, we still have a way to go. Um, there are still some uh, there are still some stresses out there, micro shortages that we that we try to keep up on. Uh, we're still filling uh, requests from states. Uh, we have a much better tool and a much better system. Uh, to look in real time, uh, daily, to see uh, you know where the PPE is, not just in the in the state system or the federal system, but in the commercial system. Uh, and, and you know you've heard a lot of talk about AirBridge, uh, which was which was really important part of it. But but the thing that supported that was our uh, supply chain task force and the, this control tower that they 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 built to allow us to see into private companies' uh, operations about. How much they had, where where it was going, what was ordered, what were the shortfalls, and a heat map across the country. 
and in cooperation with the big six uh, medical distributors, you know, uh, companies like McKesson and Cardinal, uh, they move on our request, hey, uh, can you move N95 masks uh, from the West Coast to the East Coast because they need more. And, and all that was done initially on a handshake. Uh, okay. Companies coming together uh, to do the right thing for the nation. Okay. All right. We're going to switch gears and talk briefly about hurricanes. I mean, we're in the Greek alphabet now because we ran out of, you know, more than 26 named storms. I think Delta's next up or is out there somewhere. But um, this one is about fizzle and we're up. We're going to be next. Uh, the next one would be Zeta and that will tie the 2005 all time record if that happens. Okay. So, any quick thoughts about um, how rainfall has become so, I mean, we used to talk for hurricanes, uh, wind speed and storm surge, but rainfall has really become a significant issue. Yeah, well, I think, I think generally flooding, flooding, uh, which, which rainfall turns into, yeah, yeah. is a problem across the country. Uh, it, it rains in every place in the United States and it floods in every state in the United States. Obviously, hurricanes uh, make, that, uh, make that, uh, that problem worse. Uh, and, you know, the, the, you know, the frequency of hurricanes has increased the intensity, the cost, uh, you know, the impact is, is, uh, uh, takes a toll. Um, and, and I think one, I think one of the things that we have focused on, um, is to, uh, make some investments in pre-disaster mitigation, right? So try to remove the risk before the disaster happens, uh, pay less money, uh, after the disaster happens by investing more money before it. So, you know, one of the new programs is BRIC, uh, Building Resilient Infrastructure in Communities. Uh, that program rolled out um, earlier this, uh, uh, this year. And, uh, and for the first time, we're going to have a steady stream of uh, money for investment in pre-disaster mitigation. Uh, the BRIC program this year is funded up to $500 million. Uh, that, that's at least 10 times uh, uh, the, the total that any predecessor uh, program yeah. Uh, here the pre-disaster pre mitigation program. Right. Yep. Yeah. And so we're excited about some of the things that we, we want to focus on, making a bigger investment on things that count in order to reduce uh, the impacts of hurricanes, wildfires, uh, pandemics, you name it. Uh, but I think that's what our role is at FEMA is to, you know, encourage pre-disaster mitigation uh, from top to bottom. Uh, so, uh, so we have less impact uh, once a disaster comes. As we know, we, we know there's going to be wildfires. We know there's going to be hurricanes. We know all of that will happen. So let's spend some money up front. And I think Congress uh, should be uh, lauded for that, those kind of decisions to, to fund those things. And, uh, and we're going to grow this program into something significant. Okay. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick break right now and hear uh, a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, we'll be talking about those wild, wildfires. Today's podcast is being sponsored by The Blue Cell. With over 100 courses available within the areas of crisis, consequence, and incident management, the Blue Cell has online, virtual, live, or in-person options. Go to www.thebluecell.com forward slash training to sign up today. Welcome back to Disaster Zone Today podcast. And the guest is Pete Gaynor, FEMA Administrator. And we've been talking about hazards and we talked about FEMA was involved with the pandemic and hurricanes. Uh, 
and certainly we left off with wildfires and in the West, they've been uh, significant. I wrote down unprecedented. There's that word again, uh, especially in California. So how is a FEMA response to a wildfire different from that, say, of a hurricane? Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I think, you know, one of, one of the, um, the uh, concepts that we've uh, fully embraced, I think, in the federal government, not, not just in FEMA, but it really applies to a lot of other things is uh, locally executed, state managed, and federally supported. So uh, through our role as a supporting agency, so whether it's a uh, hurricane uh, or a wildfire, uh, making sure that the states, uh, and I'll just, uh, I'll pick states to make it easier, the states have everything they need uh, to, uh, to uh, deal with wildfires. Uh, this year, uh, 75 FMAGs, uh, fire management assistance grants have gone out. Uh, that, that's, a, that's another historic number. We haven't really had that many in, 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 uh, ever. Uh, and so with those, uh, those investments uh, to states, they allow them to uh, take uh, measures, uh, uh, life safety measures, uh, backfill for overtime, backfill for equipment, and uh, try to prevent wildfires from becoming major disasters. And so uh, that has uh, stressed the system this year. So from uh, California to Colorado to Oregon and uh, uh, Washington State, uh, wildfires burning uh, uh, viciously uh, th these past many months. Uh, and, and so uh, again, you know, what FEMA does well is making sure that uh, the, the states have the resources to fight fires and have uh, access to the federal family to whatever they need to help them uh, battle those uh, battle those fires uh, across the, uh, the West and Midwest. So, you know, on, on wildfires, this is where individuals, families can really make a difference there. The two mitigation things I think about they can do is one, make sure they have an insurance, fire insurance on their home. But then even better than that is look at where they live. If they live in a wildland interface zone, um, there's programs called like FireWise where you can help uh, better protect your property. Any, any advice you have for the average citizens uh, listening to this that live in a wildfire inter urban interface? Yeah, well, well, first I think no matter where you live, you gotta know what the risk is, where you are. So is the risk of wildfires, is it the flooding, is it the hurricanes? Uh, you know, is it the tornadoes and, and actually uh, understand what that risk is and, and make some investments. And you mentioned insurance. Uh, and I know if you live in the West, uh, fire insurance is, gets more and more expensive. So that, that, that probably uh, uh, stops people from making those, those investments. Maybe they, they're going to balance the, 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 uh, the pros and cons of uh, investing in insurance and not, um, you know, uh, making your, your homes more defensible. I know uh, state of California has some great programs out there that uh, encourage uh, homeowners to, uh, you know, make their homes uh, uh, more uh, more defensible, uh, but a little bit more to resist fire. Uh, you know, local building codes, uh, it all starts at the local level. You know, the federal government has a little, not that we don't have any interest, but we have little say in what the local building codes are. Right. So if you're an elected official in, in, in a local uh, community, uh, and, and you have been impacted by wildfire, you're going to change your building code. And if you've been impacted by a hurricane, you're going to change your building code. The hard part is those communities that have not been impacted, uh, you know, will they change their building code before it happens to make themselves safer? So there's, yeah. there's, there's plenty to do out there. Uh, you know, just back to the FMAGs, uh, 
because we passed uh, or Congress passed the uh, Disaster Recovery Reform Act, DRA, back in October, uh, about uh, every FMAG comes with mitigation now. So I think it's $440,000 with every FMAG uh, that a community can use uh, to do mitigation, right? Uh, so whether that's uh, reseeding after a fire so you prevent mudslides or run off into uh, water supplies, uh, that money is more available now than it ever has been. But it's just not the federal government investment in mitigation. It's everyone's yeah. mitigation. Yeah. And I would just add to your list about um, building codes. Uh, there's a lot of places have no building codes. So uh, having a building code would be a good start um, for many places in the, in the nation. So um, last question for you that, um, you know, as I mentioned, FEMA is very well known for uh, the response. Uh, generally, that's what they think you do 100% of your time, which isn't true. But how would you define disaster resilience? You know, how do you define that? Well, I think many of the things that we, we touched on, you know, investment in pre-disaster mitigation, right? Uh, making, you know, taking the risk out of uh, what's risky for the neighborhood. Um, um, and, and, and I'll, go, I'll go back to COVID-19 um, is, you know, a shared responsibility, right? Everyone making an investment in, in, in resilience, and that can be a number of different things. It could be mitigation, it could be preparedness, um, uh, but it's just not someone else doing it, right? It's all of us doing it together uh, to make communities uh, to make communities uh, stronger uh, and, and the full spectrum. Uh, and, and I know, having worked for mayors and, go and governors, uh, that uh, sometimes making these investments uh, when you really can't see the risk, right? You haven't. So if you haven't had a disaster, it's hard for people to become believers. Uh, if you haven't had a disaster. So local emergency managers, state emergency managers, you have to work hard uh, to convince your leadership, your legislature, uh, to make these investments in a more resilient community. And they come, they, they can be done in many different ways. And in some cases, it doesn't cost a lot of money. Uh, but it's just not, you know, waiting for the federal gov government investment or grant to make that, to make that investment in, in, in resilience. It's really uh, starting at the local level. And so even making um, a... Uh, a homeowner uh, more resilient with flood insurance or fire insurance uh, to, 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 again, to, to uh, protect the most valuable asset, which is their home. Okay. Well, I, I, I just want to say thank you to Pete Gaynor for being a guest here on the Disaster Zone podcast. Thanks, uh, Eric. It's always good to be here with you. Uh, I think someday we'll try to get back out here when we get past this virtual thing that we've all been up to. But uh, I enjoy my time today. I appreciate it. All right. Come on out to Washington State. So um, emergency managers are being called on to serve many different ways. And FEMA and the 2020 exam, uh, exam, exemplifies the critical role that everybody plays. And I, I'll just finish by saying a reminder to everyone to be safe. Think about what you can do today. As the administrator just said about insurance building codes, uh, you can all do measures to improve your mitigation without uh, federal dollars. Uh, and maybe someone listening to this podcast has become inspired by uh, Pete's story to join the ranks of emergency managers. Uh, thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another podcast. Thanks for listening to today's Disaster Zone podcast. 
Tune in again soon for more information on all aspects of disasters and what people and organizations are doing about them. You can also check out the Disaster Zone blog at www.disaster-zone.com.